This week, we're recapping week six of the college football season. We're revisiting the 10 most interesting teams to watch, what I had on my preseason list, and what the back half of the season looks like. We have some newcomers, let's just say that. And the biggest college football week is coming up here. Week seven is a loaded slate, so we're putting together your weekly watch guide. Here we go. So the week didn't feature any big matchups in the top twat new new top 25a people won't feature a lot of movement in the in the top 10 but that didn't mean we didn't have any interesting games and results coming out of week six starting with number one alabama beating texas a&m 24 to 20 this game was played in tuscaloosa and the aggies had an opportunity to win this game on the last play of the drive Bryce Young was injured. He was out of the football game, but it revealed a lot of flaws in Alabama that they weren't able to just blow away the putrid offense of this Texas A&M team. The Tide did have four turnovers, including three fumbles. They had two missed field goals. This defense looks rather pedestrian at times. Again, not a lot of explosiveness on the outside from wide receivers and perimeter players. Jalen Milrow, the uh, reserve quarterback, was 10 for 19 for 111 yards, three touchdowns, a pick, and two of those fumbles. He did record 17 carries for 83 yards. Another one of these guys that looks like once Bryce Young is gone next year, he'll get a nice offseason to kind of be groomed as the starter next season, but this was just a rough showing for him here. Now, Jameer Gibbs, 154 yards on the ground, again at the running back position. For Texas A&M, Haynes King was in at quarterback, and he threw the ball 46 times for 253 yards and two interceptions. Devon A-Chain had 20 total touches for only 67 yards. You knew that Nick Saban was going to key in on him uh, and prevent a lot of action from him on the uh, offensive side for Texas A&M. has got to be one of the worst Alabama performances that's happened in a very long time. Hopefully, Bryce Young will be back next week for the big Tennessee game. Uh, game day will be there, but this was just uh, the throwaway game for Alabama. And the Aggies, at the end, again, had a chance at it. They were driving down the field. They were able to get a past interference call in the end zone, put Texas A&M on the two-yard line with three seconds left. And with the final play of the game, the ball was kind of low and outside off of the goal line away from the goal line and the Alabama defender easily punched it away I'm not sure if the receiver even caught it and it was tackled right away if he would have made it into the end zone poor play call poor execution the offense somehow made it more difficult on themselves than the defender to make a play and you start to question Jimbo Fisher again I think even though they were on the doorstep of beating Alabama and a lot of the Media attention will be on what's going on with the Tide because more is expected from that football team. But I have more questions about Texas A&M, even though they were on the road and playing that roster. Remember, they have more five stars than Alabama does at this point, and um, at least they have a couple quarterbacks to choose from there. So not sure what's going on with Texas A&M. Alabama still got issues, but uh, hopefully they'll figure it out. They will have a huge test against Tennessee this week. 
hitting on the other two teams expected to make a run at a national championship here. They had a little bit easier time. Number two, Georgia beat Auburn 42 to 10. The Bulldogs only led 14 to nothing at half in a game where Auburn only had 258 total yards, 75 of which came in garbage time in the fourth quarter. So they held them to less than 200 yards in time that mattered. 13 for 38 passing on Auburn's side. Both scores in the first half came off short fields from Auburn uh, mistakes, so it's just not a good look, all things considered, from Georgia as we continue to question these teams that are supposed to be far and away the best in the country and sort of their poor output even in blowout wins. Number three, Ohio State crushed Michigan State 49-20 to on the road. C.J. Stroud was 21 for 26 for 361 yards, six touchdowns. He did throw a pick in there. Marvin Harris Jr. had three touchdowns, including a crazy grab falling backwards into the end zone, where he was kind of kicking his feet up and reaching down to grab the ball at the same time and falling backwards into the end zone for a score. Just a wild highlight play. Ohio State had 29 first downs and 614 yards of offense. MSU had 12 first downs. 202 yards of offense, 7 yards rushing. Ohio State has 45-plus points in five straight games, the first Big Ten team since Michigan in the 40s to accomplish that feat. Now, Jason Smith-Njigba, the receiver that was supposed to be in contention for wide receiver of the year, I can't remember the name of that award, Jason Jordan Addison won it last year at Pittsburgh. He's since transferred to USC. And then Jigbo was supposed to be in the running for that this season. He only has a handful of catches due to his injury and um, missed another game here. But that just doesn't matter for Ohio State. That has a plethora of talent and continues to put up points. Number four, Michigan had a scary game against Indiana where Michael Hart had a seizure on the sidelines and went to the hospital during the first quarter. Michigan Wolverines were already having trouble on the field with play at that time, but the scary incident clearly shook the Wolverines and they struggled the rest of the first half with the score being 10-10 when they went into the break. Now Michigan rallied. They won 31-10. J.J. put up numbers again, 28 for 36 for 304 and three touchdowns. He also threw his first interception. Blake Corum was great again, 124 yards and a touchdown on 25 carries. Ronnie Bell was great, 11 catches for 121 yards. So we have all the numbers from all the players that we would expect. They doubled up on yardage on the Hoosiers and held them to 19 yards rushing. They also had 10 penalties. I don't want to make light of the heart issue. Hopefully he's okay. News was last that he was stabilized and they were trying to figure out what what went on exactly. But Michigan has gotten better each week and they're a much better team than every Big Ten team they've played. And we just haven't quite seen them put four quarters together. They've just kicked someone's ass, which is still concerning. And uh, but we'll see how that goes coming up. Penn State's next, and they'll catch a little bit of a break with the Nittany Lions coming to Ann Arbor. Then they'll get the Spartans in that rivalry in two weeks, also at their place. Actually, four of the next five games are in Ann Arbor. So Michigan's really catching a lot of breaks here as far as schedule. And other than the road game to Ohio State in the finale, they should be able to work a lot of things through here. But Penn State will be the next big taste on the uh, test on the slate, and even there. Not super reliable at the quarterback position. 
So force the quarterback to make plays will be on the game plan for Michigan coming up. Five Clemson won at Boston College 31 to 3. A blowout, you say, right? Maybe they didn't put up as many points as you'd like, but a blowout nonetheless, huh? Well, Clemson was only up 10 to 3 at the half. They ended up punting seven times in this game and had a turnover, so eight drives ended completely empty against this Boston College team. They got pressure on Phil Jurovic, forced some short fields. They did miss a field goal, um, but they certainly had opportunities here that they missed, and they were certainly lucky to get into a few positions here. And they did shut uh, Boston College down, which is not super difficult. Uh, But this is another game that will be looked at because Clemson ultimately won in a blowout, and DJ threw for three touchdowns, but this was not a particularly impressive win for a team that's supposed to be competing not just for the ACC, but for a playoff spot. So let's tackle the very interesting Pac-12 next, as entertaining as it's been in a very long time. Number six, USC held off Washington State 30-14. to The Cougars scored both touchdowns in the second quarter. They had 11 penalties, but still did a decent job against USC, holding Caleb Williams to 15 for 29, passing for 188 yards, kind of bolting him down there. The Trojans were able to get five sacks in as they continue to lead the country in that statistic. In my opinion, UCLA actually looks like the best team in the Pac-12 right now, with USC not exactly lighting the world on fire with wins over Oregon State and Washington State. UCLA rolled number 11 Utah 45 to 32, 42 to 32, sorry. Thompson Robinson was 18 for 23 for 299 and four tutties. He also ran for one. Cabernet had 198 yards and a touchdown. Charbonnet, sorry, I'm getting him confused with wine. The Bruins averaged 13 yards per pass and 5.3 per carry. Utah's offense wasn't bad, as I still don't have much faith in UCLA's defense to make a playoff run or anything like that. They don't stop you on third down. Utah had 10 more first downs. They rushed for 4.5 yards per carry. Remember, this UCLA front was getting a lot of attention for how they shut down the run. Well, Utah could move the ball when they wanted to, and they had to throw a lot late. So they still got what they wanted to when they needed to. I'd still be concerned about the defense as a whole and not so sold on the run defense yet if I was UCLA. The Utes' defense clearly isn't as dominant as expected, and they could still lose another game here along the way, which is kind of disappointing for the folks that were hoping that they would run away with the Pac-12. But UCLA is definitely winning because of this devastating, crushing offense. Finally, with Chip Kelly and Thompson Robinson, who's been there five full years now, I believe, at this point. Now, the last time out, UCLA shelled Washington, who was on the road again this week. They're ranked 21st, but they lost to Arizona State 45-38 to in a shootout. Michael Penix put the ball in the air 53 times for zero touchdowns and an interception. Now, Washington had 32 first downs, a 50% third down conversion rate. They also outgained Arizona State. The uh, Sun Devils had 10 penalties, went to a backup quarterback after starter Emory Jones went down, and Trenton Bogut, a former walk-on who ended up coming in to throw three touchdowns, and they won the football game. Arizona State came in and outscored and put up 45 points on this Washington team, despite an amazing statistical performance from all metrics, but certainly not from the quarterback. And man, it's just the bottom has fallen out 
in Spokane. And even though they're four and two, they're well out of the top 25. And you have to wonder where Washington's going to end up in Arizona state. Still some fight there, uh, even though Herm Edwards is out. Right, the SEC, going back to the SEC here, they had three other big games in the top 25 slate, four other big games. Man, they're all blowouts. So let's uh, run through those real quick. Number eight, Tennessee over number 25, LSU, 40 to 13. Number eight, Old Miss on the road against Vanderbilt, 52 to 28. South Carolina at number 13, Kentucky, the Gamecocks win 24 to 14. And number 23, Mississippi State over Arkansas, 40 to 17. I was not surprised by the Vols' big win. They had five sacks, forced a couple turnovers. Jabari Small had 127 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Hendon Hooker was rather conservative, uh, 239 yards, two touchdowns on 27 pass attempts. So they were able to get things done through the air, on the ground. Uh, they also forced LSU into some some errors. They had some unforced errors. The Tigers did as well. They muffed the opening kickoff to give the Tennessee uh, offense the ball around the 30. They also allowed a punt return of to the 50 or their own 40-yard line to set up a field goal for Tennessee as well. LSU was also sacked on a fourth down before the half that set up Tennessee for a short field goal. So they had 16 pretty easy points off LSU issues there. And um, Tennessee was just able to dominate the rest of the game. Jaden Daniels did a great job, uh, 300 yards passing, continued to do his groundwork there. But, man, he is the the offense there right now for the LSU Tigers. And Tennessee's going to set up real nice for Alabama this week. Now, Old Miss was 8 for 11 on third downs. They averaged 14 yards per pass as Jackson Dart logged a good day for a team that's relied on the ground game the past month. He was 25 for 32 for 448 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. And they beat a Vanderbilt team, which has already hit its over for the year and is just trying to continue to build their freshman quarterback and the Vandys. Still putting up 28 points on Old Miss, which really isn't a good look. But Jackson Dart starting to get things together, starts to move this to a real offense as opposed to the one-dimensional running attack they've had before. So we'll see if they can sustain that to stay competitive in the SEC. Jonathan Mango had nine of those catches for 247 yards and two touchdowns. Jordan Watkins had seven catches for 117 and a touch. So they have a couple of real weapons out there to be recipients if they can keep the uh, passes flying. Jefferson was out for Arkansas, and that made some difference because the Razorbacks only completed 10 passes on the day. Malik Hornsby at quarterback had 348 yards of total offense. Arkansas also had two turnovers, 10 penalties, and Will Rogers just looks like a top-flight quarterback right now. Almost 400 yards, three touchdowns, and Dylan Johnson rushed for 100 yards and two touchdowns as Mississippi State didn't have a whole lot of trouble with uh, Arkansas. Now, Oregon is ranked number 12. They beat Arizona on the road 49-22. to Bo Nix was 20 for 25, 265 passing. He also had 70 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns. They just rolled up on Arizona, putting up 580 yards, 7.5 yards per carry on the ground, forced Arizona into three turnovers. I'm still not sold on Bo Nix getting this team to the playoffs, but Oregon's offense can really roll up when uh, they need to on bad football teams. Lucky for them, the slate coming up here, home against UCLA, which will be an offensive shootout, but not a particularly difficult defense. 
Then they have road games against California and Colorado, two of the easier teams in the Pac-12, although Colorado's not always the step over that they have been previously. Then they're home against this Washington team that also can't stop anybody before playing home against Utah and at Oregon State to end the season. So they'll have an opportunity to put up a lot more points without challenging Bo Nix too much, it seems like, at this particular point. But will they be able to outscore UCLA and um, possibly Utah? They do not have USC on the regular schedule, so they'd have to make it to the Pac-12 championship game to play each other. So thankfully, for both of their sakes, they don't have to play each other as potential roadblocks to a playoff at this particular point. TCU is ranked 17th. They beat Kansas on the road 38-31 to in one of the bigger key games on the slate. It was a lower-scoring affair to start. 10-3 TCU at the half. That was not to be expected. We thought we'd see more offense. Jalen Daniels left with less than a minute to go in the first half. He was banged up, and he did not return. Last season, starting quarterback Jason Bean came in and put up almost 300 yards of offense and four total touchdowns, and the second half really opened up. We had scores being shared back and forth. I believe both teams scored 21 in the third quarter. TCU scored on three straight drives at one point. Max Duggan had 308 yards and three touchdowns, and he rushed for 55 and another. Quentin Johnson had 14 catches, 206 yards, and a touchdown. He was the main recipient there for TCU, as we knew he would be a star on that particular team. So, moving forward, we'll have to see if Kansas will get Jalen Daniels back. Again, it seemed like not a huge drop-off to Jason Bean, who, of course, has starter experience. But Jalen seems like a big piece to make that engine run. Still, very tight competitive game here against TCU, who we thought would be in, you know, a competition for the title in the Big 12. But Oklahoma State and TCU and Kansas all seem to have their warts as well. It's hard to see them in the uh, playoff picture. So speaking of Oklahoma State here, we're ranked number seven and they beat Texas Tech 41 to 31. Spencer Sanders had another one of those crummy passing days where he put the ball in the air 45 times but only had one touchdown. He had less than 300 yards. He completed less than 50% of his passes, yet he still had 56 yards and two touchdowns on the ground to keep this offense going. They were actually outgained by Texas Tech, had fewer first downs, averaged fewer yards per carry, and really none of the yardage numbers were impressive at all, but they still managed to win the football game. Donovan Smith was out for Texas Tech, so Biren Moten stepped in at quarterback and put the ball in the air 62 times for 379 yards and a touchdown while running for 46 and a touchdown. Doesn't seem to matter much who Texas Tech puts in at quarterback. He's their third or fourth they've played this year as injuries continue to pile up there. I do like Donovan Smith, but they seem to recruit and bring in guys who can just kind of put the ball in the air and do what they need them to do. So, What does it look like for Oklahoma State moving forward? A win over another big team in the Big 12. All of them look good. But again, Oklahoma State, TCU, Kansas still look like the best three teams. Texas is in the mix as well. And they destroyed Oklahoma 49 to nothing in the Red Rival rivalry. I can only imagine the first three and out on the opening possession that Oklahoma got against Texas, firing up the Sooner fans, and then you turn around three hours later and you are completely eviscerated, shut out, blown out for the first time since 98 was the first time 
last time that they were shut out in a game like this. They're setting all kinds of records for infutility at this point, halfway through the season. Davis Bevin started for Oklahoma. He was 6 for 12 for 38 yards and an interception on the day. Bijan Robinson for Texas had 130 yards and two touchdowns to help roll up the Texas Longhorns offense there that nearly tripled up yardage over the Sooners, who look like they shouldn't even freaking be there. They look like a Division II school, quite frankly. And although TCU and Oklahoma State have looked quite good so far, I think a healthy Texas team here with Quentin Ewers could be a difference maker, and I think you really have to like their chances in the Big 12. Uh, Let me touch on Kentucky and South Carolina real quick. Now, Kentucky, Will Levis was ruled out just hours before the game due to a lingering issue from the last week against Old Miss game that they were in position to win and fumbled a couple times in the red zone to really lose the fumble that game away, quite frankly. So no Will Levis, and that was announced just before the South Carolina kickoff. So backup Kenyon Sheridan, the redshirt freshman, stepped in. He didn't look terrible. Stat line wasn't terrible. He wasn't horrific. But South Carolina just crushed them in this game. The terrible offensive line gave up six sacks. And all the way around, it wasn't a great game from any perspective. But South Carolina just went up early and never let up. And that's why uh, Kentucky really struggled here. So Will Levis, as we know, has been the driving force there. That team, which has made it just up to the top 10 couple weeks ago and now they're sitting at four and two the next game i want to hit here is florida state winning at number 14 nc state 19 to 17 flip that i was putting these notes together as i was watching the conclusion of that nc state ranked 14th one at home over florida state 19 to 17 in an ugly ugly game 19 18 19 total penalties devin leary went down with a shoulder injury in the second quarter for the uh, Wolfpack. So Jack Chambers played in the second, a Charleston Southern transfer who was a receiver originally. So I don't know how the depth can get so bad that you're playing a guy that has more catches than throws and then didn't throw at all in the second half. It was just a mess for uh, NC State. The quarterbacks combined for 26 completions on 53 attempts. That's less than 50%. 321 yards, two touchdowns, three picks. So bad day for Leary before he went out. Wasn't much throwing for NC State after he went out. And Jordan on the other side for um, Florida State had a rough day as well. Seven combined third downs converted by both teams. Only seven times was a third down converted. That's insane. Florida State had a horrible field goal kicker and was driving down at the end of the game, this very close game, to win it. They were in field goal range, and you know all the anticipation was that they were going to still try and score a touchdown as time was starting to wind down and not set it up for the field goal kicker to basically miss a field goal. And the announcers were talking about it, and it was discussed after the football game. So Florida State ran a play that they had run earlier in the game, through the same kind of fade off in the corner and the NC state cornerback read the play outran the receiver and intercepted the ball in the end zone with less than a minute left or right around a minute, minute and a half left to seal the game 19 to 17 with Florida state and field goal range to kick a game winner. But again, they couldn't rely on their field goal kicker to guarantee that. So just a gross game all the way through 
Gross, the starter went out. Gross, the other starter performed terribly. Gross, you couldn't rely on your field goal kicker to win it. Gross, that no one even hit 20 points. But these are two of the best teams in the ACC. So that's what we're looking at in that particular conference. How about our favorite independents? Well, they're both going different directions right now as Notre Dame beat BYU 28-20 out in the desert in Las Vegas in Reliant Arena, home of the Las Vegas Raiders out there, and they also share with UNLV. Now, Drew Payne was 22 for 28 for 262 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Looked good offensively. Notre Dame looked pretty good on the defensive end as well, beating BYU 28 to 20 there. Michael Meyer, a fitting Halloween name there at tight end, had 11 grabs for 118 yards and two touchdowns. Very spooky for opponents to deal with. BYU only had 280 yards of total offense, 13 first downs, three third down conversions. And again, the offensive side was supposed to be the strength, and they only had the ball for 19 minutes as Notre Dame controlled the uh, clock here. And this Notre Dame team coming out of the bye week into this uh, matchup here, great alternate uniforms, by the way, black and blue for BYU. And this being part of the Shamrock series that Notre Dame kind of hosts, even though it's out of town in the white and kind of interesting gold trim here. Awesome display. And it, I think it really showed us that Notre Dame has rebooted after the Ohio State loss which came out with critics for both both teams, uh, stating that both Notre Dame and Ohio State were looking poor to start the season, and the Marshall loss that followed that looked pretty miserable. And, of course, the offense continued to struggle against uh, California after that. On a show against that miserable North Carolina defense, then they took their bye week, then they came out, went on the road again, won at a neutral site, arguably here, against by BYU and looked strong. And now it looks like they're going to be able to hit a nice stretch here. Some solid teams still on the schedule, but a lot of them struggling now. It looked difficult to start the season. They've got Stanford at home. They've got UNLV at home. They've got Syracuse at the road. They've got Clemson at home. Then they're at Navy, home against Boston College, at USC. So still some tougher teams on there and some teams that could reach up and get you but they look like a team that's going to be more able to handle these challenges coming out of the bye week and retooling a little bit. The last game I wanted to note here was the unranked Purdue-Maryland game that Purdue came out winning. Uh, they had three turnovers in the third, and Maryland scored zero points off of those turnovers. You'd say, well, both teams look bad then, don't they? But I think they're both pretty good teams. I think both defenses are coming along just fine, even if they're not statistical outliers. I think Maryland might be probably the fourth best team in the East Division of the Big Ten, unfortunately, but I think Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are solid teams. In the West now, I think we've, you know, going into the preseason, we weren't sure who was going to win that. I think Iowa, Nebraska, and Wisconsin are clearly in the lower half, and I think the upper half here, Purdue is going to be in the mix with Illinois, who beat a Iowa 9-6 with their backup quarterback in because the starter went out hurt. And Minnesota, of course, who was on by this week. So Purdue here was close to being 5-1 and one after the uh, Penn State game and the opener that they blew. But they're in the mix here with Minnesota and a surprising Illinois team in the Big Ten West. And I think both these teams, Purdue and Maryland, that you wouldn't necessarily expect are uh, actually pretty solid football teams. So the new AP Top 25 just came out. And we don't have, we have some movement in the top top uh, let's see 10 teams here but no one has dropped out of the top 10 it's the top three now 
Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. The tie dropped after their poor performance there. Then we have Clemson and Michigan who have flip-flop spots. Then we have Tennessee who's moved up a couple due to their good performance, followed by USC and Oklahoma State. So really just teams moving around because of how they performed uh, this past week. Then Notre, uh, excuse me, Old Miss and Penn State are 9-10 to round out the top 10. Neither of them moved. So Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, Tennessee, USC, Oklahoma State, Old Miss, Penn State round out the top 10. At 11, we have UCLA, who's moved up seven spots after their big win, followed by Oregon at 12, who stayed the same. Then we have TCU, who moved up a couple spots. Then Wake Forest, NC State, who only dropped down one spot. Mississippi State made a big leap up seven spots. Kansas State's up three. Syracuse is up four. Kansas stayed the same. Probably didn't hurt that Jalen Daniels was hurt in the game, and they lost to this TCU team that's starting to gain some respect here. But it's a little shocking that they stayed at 19. So I guess the Jayhawks are finally getting some attention. Number 20 is Utah, who dropped nine spots. Cincinnati was number 21. They actually moved up three spots, although they didn't look super great in their game this past week. They have a couple big ones coming up. I believe they're on bye this week, but they did have a little bit of a struggle in the first half of their football game against South Florida, and they only won that 28-24 to at home. So the Bearcats have to watch out there. Kentucky dropped nine spots as well. They're at 22, followed by Texas, Illinois, and finally, James Madison is in the rankings at 5-0. Other teams receiving votes, North Carolina, who's effectively 26, then Baylor, Coastal Carolina, who stays undefeated, and BYU, who's effectively team number 30, which is strange because they just lost Notre Dame, who's sitting at technically spot number 31, just behind them in terms of votes received for the AP poll. Now, South Carolina received a few, and they're in, there, and they're in the mix. Uh, Tulane's in there. Purdue received a few. And uh, San Jose State got one on both the AP and the coaches poll. So they're in the mix there for the Mountain West Conference. Teams dropped out. BYU, who was 16th. Washington, who was 21st. And LSU, who was 25th. So again, some teams that probably shouldn't have been in there. Some weird movement all around. But heading into Week 7 is a massive, massive week. There'll be a lot of shifting around, so not too important right now. We also have the official college football uh, show and rankings coming down a few weeks down the line here. They don't come out till basically two-thirds of the way through the season, so we'll have that coming up in a couple weeks, and uh, that'll give us a real indication of what we're looking at. But this week, week seven, should help uh, sort some tiers for us as far as who are the top teams to really move into Probably the fourth playoff spot, assuming Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama don't suffer more than one loss. But who knows? We could have some interesting results coming up. The next segment I wanted to do here was revisiting my top 10 most exciting teams to watch that I put together in the preseason and rebuilding that list for the second half of the college football season now that we're about halfway through here. So I had in the preseason Ohio State at number one, then BYU, USC, Arkansas, Texas A&M, NC State, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Mississippi State. I think I hit on about half of these teams. That's not too bad. So let's rebuild the list here. First of all, 
Arkansas is coming out. They're three and three. They're a solid football team, but I have some better picks to put in here. Texas A&M's horrific. They're not performing well. Obviously, they're out. NC State's been horrifically boring to watch. As good as that, as good as that defense is, they've been horrible. So we're kicking them out. We don't know about the quarterback status there either. Oklahoma, dumpster fire. They're out. No one wants to watch them either. And I'm removing Ohio State simply because the back end of the schedule is pretty bad. They have some walkover games in Northwestern and Indiana. And BYU's lost a few too many games. They still have a, a tough schedule to head, but they're not always the most entertaining team to have on television. So I'm going to keep Mississippi State, Texas, Tennessee, USC uh, on the list here. And so this is my new reformed list. So at number 10, I'm going to go with North Carolina, which seems like a bit of surprise considering that they can't stop anyone on the defensive side of the ball. But Drake May is a phenomenal quarterback. He's at the top of a number of statistical fields. He's only thrown three interceptions on the season. He's got 21 touchdown passes, 1,900 yards, the third highest QB rating at 108, and almost a 70% completion percentage. And they're currently leading the Coastal Division, the very weak Coastal Division in the ACC. So it's possible they will be able to make it into the ACC championship game. So for him alone, this is a very big deal. And it would be a shame if heading into next season that Mac Brown wasted his talent as he did Sam Howell and did not find a way to really capitalize on that. So I hope that this team is able to kind of get things around this year. Now the rest of the schedule at Duke this weekend should be a good football game. Obviously it's not a world beater kind of opponent, but North Carolina isn't a world beating kind of team. It should just be a really good football game and an interstate rival, obviously. Pittsburgh's still on the schedule, even though they've had their schedules. Pitt is on there, and that's a good defensive front. Wake Forest, a road trip there. They still have NC State uh, to close the season, so hopefully Nick Leary will be healthy for that game. And uh, they do have a, a road game to Virginia and a home game against Georgia Tech as well in the mix there, which are not high-viewing games. But um, nevertheless, Drake May alone both to, to get eyes on him this season and possibly because North Carolina will have some staying power if they continue to win, will be a, a star for this team as a freshman. And his ability to move that offense alone will keep him entertaining. He's one of the most under-the-radar quarterbacks right now as far as teams that don't have a play in the uh, national championship picture. C.J. Stroud's obviously talked about a lot. Max Duggan. J.J. McCarthy, Dorian Thomas-Robinson, Hayden Hooker. Um, but some of the other radar guys are uh, Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina, Todd Centurio at James Madison, and really Drake May at North Carolina, who's certainly still talked about but not as much on a national scale. So get eyes on him and this good offense for North Carolina. Number nine on my list is Michigan. Ohio State has some walkover games on the mat yet, so they just couldn't make the cut for this list despite that prolific offense. But Michigan has a lot of talent. They're just playing a lot of games close for comfort, which is better viewing, but tough for Michigan fans to stomach. J.J. McCarthy still going to be a star in 2023, we think. Is it going to continue to evolve this year? That's a big question. Can the Big Ten still be a, a two-bit league? 
Penn State and Ohio State are obviously on the schedule. Michigan State will get up for Michigan. Illinois is a good football team. Rutgers, one of the better of the bad football teams per se. And uh, Nebraska is still throwing things at the wall. So those are all the teams still on the schedule. They don't play Northwestern or Indiana. Iowa would be boring. So they keep a lot of those off the slate. But Michigan's been playing kind of the last stretch and um, not really been showing everything I think they could be. And they'll have an opportunity to kind of mash teams for a while here, including the stretch with MSU at Rutgers, Nebraska. That could be a blowout fest if they get things together. But I still think that they will be number nine on my top viewing list to see if they can really get the pieces together, stay undefeated, stay at one loss, possibly go back to the uh, Big Ten championship game. Playoffs are still in there and they have talent and they can be really electric. So I've got Michigan at number nine on the list. Number eight is Clemson. And I looked at a lot of ACC teams. I did slip North Carolina down there at the 10 spot. Florida State, I think, leads the country in explosive plays somehow, but I just didn't couldn't include them on the list. Undefeated Syracuse and Sean, Sean Tucker at running back was someone I looked at. Wake Forest and Sam Hartman. But uh, none of these teams keep a real interesting schedule the rest of the way. So North Carolina almost didn't make the list. And uh, I'm not sure Syracuse is top viewing nationally either. Now Clemson plays Syracuse and Florida State in addition to Notre Dame. So they will play three quality teams there. They also end the season on a three-game homestand. Louisville, Miami, South Carolina, which all looked tough preseason, but not so much now. It's possible some of these teams bounce back in the coaching staffs, particularly on Miami and South Carolina, get these teams ready to go towards the end of the season, especially if there's bull bids in the balance. So we will see week to week if they're able to maintain and make it back to the playoffs. Hell, if Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State is struggling, maybe Clemson will make it up to the number one spot. Who knows? But tuning in to see if DJ Ungle can continue to move the football, hold down that starting spot. Obviously, no Cade in sight, the true freshman anymore, uh, challenging for his spot. The defense has had players out all season. Maybe they start to come back. Maybe this team all of a sudden gets everyone healthy. Offense is looking good. Defense is looking shut down. And they blow out teams for the last three or four weeks. And um, they're actually not as enjoyable to watch because you just know they're going to roll everyone every week and uh, they make it to the playoffs. But until we actually see that, this will be a team worth watching. A few good teams still left on the schedule. Let's see if they can stay unbeaten or at least in the hunt for the playoffs. My number seven team is Kansas. And there's multiple big 12 teams on here. That's still a great conference. And I picked between like eight of them, but this is still a team, even with a loss, that is just so much fun to watch. They're still towards the top of the country in terms of explosive plays. That's a legitimate offense. The defense isn't horrific, but Lance Leopold, the head coach, continued to get things done when Jalen Daniels was injured last week. They effectively have two starting quarterbacks, but this is a great team. Jalen Daniels is obviously why you're watching at the quarterback position, but the Jayhawks can continue to roll up wins and continue to cause turmoil in the Big 12. Not that the Big 12 championship is out of the question, just that they already have one loss now, of course, with TCU beating them by only a touchdown once Jalen went down in the first half. Now, keep in mind, Lance Leopold is going to be the hot name for all the big jobs. He could be gone next year. Imagine this coaching on a roster with a little more talent. 
imagine Jalen Daniels transferring with them. Not that I advocate that. That's certainly a possibility to see coach and quarterback on another team next season, and that would certainly be a sight to see. The schedule the rest of the way for Kansas, at Oklahoma, at Baylor, home against Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, home against Texas, at Kansas State, gives them all the major players in the conference picture right now, besides TCU, who they just played in Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas, still good teams in Kansas State, and Texas Tech on the road. So it's possible this team struggles the rest of the way, but I think they'll very much still be in these contests and in great Big 12 teams every single week with a great quarterback, a great coach, and we may see them somewhere else next season. Number six on my list is Mississippi State. Again, they were on number 10 on my original list in the preseason, and I've actually moved them up. They are legitimately in contention for the SEC West right now. They are a 5-1 ball club. They've beaten Arkansas, Texas A&M, Memphis, uh, Arizona on the road. They also beat Bowling Green in there. And the slate the rest of the way is going to be tough as well. At Kentucky, at Alabama, home against Auburn and Georgia, at Old Miss. They do have a stinker in there against Eastern Tennessee. But uh, this is a team that's going to have some brutal games coming up. They're very much still in the race if uh, Alabama were to falter. Of course, the Egg Bowl at the end of the year against Old Miss. Will Rogers, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, leads the country in passing yards with 2,110. He's also thrown for 24, 22 touchdown passes and three interceptions. His passer rating is way up there as well. He's completing over 71% of his passes. This team has players at receiver, at running back. They are great on special teams, defense. Oh, what else do you want? This team can do it all. If they didn't lose to LSU in a surging fourth quarter comeback earlier in the season, this team would still be undefeated and shooting up the rankings. But this is a very good football team, still in the hunt in the SEC West, and still really an underrated squad altogether. So they are number six on my list, and they love to throw the football. Number five on my list is Texas, and it's really shouldn't need an explanation. Quentin Ewers, in the few games we've seen him healthy this season, has been a difference maker and an elevator quarterback. Xavier Worthy is a great receiver. Bijan Robinson, a great running back back there, and a, a multiple threat receiving the balls as well. And the defense is slowly starting to come along from being one of the worst defenses in the country last season. And um, the most points it gave up was to Texas Tech in the double overtime loss. 34 points was that number. And uh, they, they did well against Alabama, too, in a game they could have won. So really, this team was is real close to being undefeated. And that's with Quinn Ewers sitting out for most of the season so far. And the schedule, again, Big 12 schedule. Iowa State's up next at home, followed by road trips to Oklahoma State and Kansas State, home against TCU at Kansas, home against Baylor. All the tough games, obviously Oklahoma wasn't that, and West Virginia and Texas Tech, but all the tough games really are coming up next for the Longhorns. Maybe they really are back. Number four is USC and this Lincoln-Riley operation that has not run as smoothly the past couple weeks, but is still undefeated and looks like arguably the best team in the Pac-12. Again, the defense has some issues. The first turnover, couple turnovers of the season have now come along, but they were not 
a high turnover team, and they forced a whole lot of turnovers. They do sack the quarterback a lot. So for every issue they have, on the flip side, they're not um, they have some some cover for that. So not very good defense, sack the quarterback a lot. Create a lot of turnovers. Don't turn the ball over a lot. So able to cover up a lot of their flaws in a way. Still a lot of weapons. Caleb Williams, Jordison Addison, last year's receiver of the season. Addison Dye is still looking great, the running back there. And uh, this team, again, with Utah kind of faltering, Oregon not always looking great. It could be a battle for LA that determines the best team in the Pac-12 and USC and UCLA. The rest of the schedule, at Utah, at Arizona, home against Colorado and California, about as easy as it gets in the Pac-12, then at UCLA, and home against Notre Dame. So some tough games, tough games uh, amongst the two cupcakes in there for the USC Trojans. My number three team is Tennessee, and it's only because they have a couple easier games in the uh, schedule here. But the Vols look great. Hendon Hooker, great, great quarterback, number one offense. They can really move the football, even with Cedric Tillman possibly missing this week's game, maybe more time, but hopefully he's back and uh, they have a legitimate run game. The defense is coming along from being one of the worst overall units in the country last season. They're able to get some pressure on, on quarterbacks. They're able to get some sacks, some quarterback hurries. It kind of depends on the situation, but they're able to get things going. They've beat Florida. They've won at Pitt. They've won at LSU. And there's some conversation about how good this team really is because none of those teams are now ranked and the strength of schedule and just a whole bunch of garbage. But very few teams have actually played the strength of schedule even at this point in the season. And um, none of those have as high a marks in a number of statistical categories as this team does. But they'll be playing Alabama this week, so we'll see just how good that they are. So the rest of the schedule, home against Alabama. They get the tide at their place. They do get Kentucky at home. They do get this feisty Missouri team at home. They have road games to Georgia and uh, feisty South Carolina and Vanderbilt. They do have UT Martin in there as well, unfortunately. And they just might flat out be better against Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Those are their last three. So kind of depending on how the games against Alabama and Georgia go, They'll have shots against two of the top national title favorites right now, and um, it's possible the last last group of games might be walkthroughs, but we will see. But there's a possibility this team can really, really start to make some headlines this upcoming week. But it is a good offense. The defense isn't bad either, and if you're a Alabama fan right now, you should uh, you should be puckering up a little bit. This is a this is a scary week for you. Number two is TCU. Again, top five offense. I believe they're still ranked second after this past week. Max Duggan, who again didn't start the season, is locked in at starting quarterback right now after Shane Morris went down over a month ago, and uh, he's ready to roll with this offense. He has a true difference maker at receiver in Quentin Johnston, who's averaging 12.3 yards per catch and has 320 yards on the year and a few others is while Barber Davison. So he's got a, a good group of receivers there. The defense isn't one of the best in the country, but it seems to lock down when they need it to. The rest of the schedule, they've only played five games. They have home against Oklahoma State 
and Kansas State. They're at West Virginia, home against Texas Tech, at Texas and Baylor, and home against Iowa State. Again, a lot of good teams still on the schedule here, and the bye week has passed, so they've got about two weeks of football in front of the Horned Frogs there. And my number one team is the UCLA Bruins. After munching on Utah this past week, smashing Washington the week before that, the South Alabama game, of course, they barely survived that football game, but now this looks like one of the best offenses in the country, led by Dorian Thomas-Robinson, who has been there forever and a day, over 1,500 yards passing, almost 75% completion percentage, 15 touchdowns passing and two picks. He's also rushed for four touchdowns and over 200 yards. He's got a real running back there and Carbonette, who's ran for over 615 yards and over seven yards per clip and six touchdowns as well. He's got some other guys in the backfield that can run the ball. Got some real receivers, including Bobo, who's averaging 16 yards per catch on 24 receptions and has five touchdowns as well. He can legitimately win the Heisman Trophy behind this team and offense averaging over 41 points per game, converting on almost 55% of third downs. This is a really, really good offense. And the defense is somewhat lacking, but that keeps every football game interesting. They play at Oregon, home against this feisty Stanford team, at this feisty Arizona State team, home against Arizona, home against USC, at California. So the schedule Again, a lot of teams you don't expect to do too well. Stanford, Arizona State, Arizona, California. They do have tough games still, though, against USC and Oregon. And uh, this is going to be a feisty bunch. And uh, the defense, man, if they can figure out the defense, then they will have a chance to win the Pac-12. But again, no divisions this year. The best two records will play in the Pac-12 championship game. So even if they take a loss, you would hope that they would be able to make it there but hopefully that won't be the case. This is an every week watch team. Flip them on if they're not hidden away on the Pac-12 network that a lot of of the country doesn't have access to and keep an eye on what they're doing, even in some of these games like Arizona, Stanford, Colorado. Let's see if UCLA can put the Pac-12 back in the playoff discussion or if it might be USC, who I had a little bit further down on this list as well. So my countdown backwards again. At 10 is North Carolina, 9 is Michigan, 8 Clemson, 7 Kansas, 6 Mississippi State, 5 Texas, 4 USC, 3 Tennessee, 2 Texas Christian, and 1 the UCLA Bruins on the top teams to watch as in flip on a game, most exciting, most entertaining teams to watch right now on college football. Left off Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and a few others because Sometimes they're just not fun to watch. Sometimes the schedules are a little soft coming up. So I left those three teams off notably and others for similar reasons. But those are my top 10 right now. Weekday watches. We got Wednesday. We got Thursday. We got Friday. We got all the weekdays here, which is great because the Thursday night NFL football game between the Washington Commanders and the Chicago Bears looks pretty garbage. So Wednesday night, October 12th. At 7.30 on ESPN2, Louisiana is 2-3. and three. They're traveling to Marshall, who's the Thundering Herd's currently 3-2. and two. The Raging Cajuns 
is not a team I've talked about at all this season. With Billy Napier leaving for the Florida job, they've been floundering. They beat Southeast Louisiana and Eastern Michigan to start the season, but have now lost three straight to Rice, Louisiana Monroe, and South Alabama. They're in the much weaker West Division of the Sun Belt, and they're already 0-2 in conference play. Marshall came off the win against Notre Dame and had tough losses to Bowling Green and Troy on the road. They rebounded against Garner-Webb last week and are double-digit favorites in this game. They have a great defense that's actually top five in stopping the run and a great running back. And Callan Layborn, Callan Layborn, one day I'll say a name right on this show, who was fourth in rushing yards and also has eight touchdowns. That's top ten in the country. They're one of the better teams in Conference USA. Thursday, what should you be doing just prior to keeping an eye on that Thursday night football game? Well, it's 7 o'clock on FS1, number, well, whew, they're not ranked, excuse me. West Virginia at 2-3 and three is hosting Baylor at 3-2. and two. Now, Baylor is favored by 3.5 on the road, and I think it, that kind of lends itself to the train of thought that the Bears prefer low-scoring slugfests, and West Virginia just can't really win big games to kind of save their lives. Now, the Mountaineers had no problem with Townsend and Virginia Tech. They came up just short of tying Pitt on the road in the opener. They lost to Kansas in overtime, and they were hammered by Texas last week, 38-20. to The offensive numbers aren't mind-blowing, but they keep the ball moving, 4.8 yards per carry, almost a 50% third down conversion rate, one of the better rates in the country. They're also 12 for 15 on fourth down, so they they keep the ball moving. Now, Baylor has lost the two big games on its schedule in BYU and last week against Oklahoma State in a 36-25 defeat. The Bears scored 22 points in the third quarter, 22 of their 25 points just coming out of halftime. Now, Baylor is the number 25 overall defense in yards given up. West Virginia's 31st, and that sounds great. They're both stout run defenses. But West Virginia is tied for the fewest interceptions in the country with one. Baylor only has three. They're very middling in terms of sacks, so they're not making the big defensive plays. Blake Schappen is arguably outplaying JT Daniels at this point, but neither is vying for Heisman by any stretch. So I think this will be a lower-scoring, entertaining ball game. But I think as far as tiering is going, these two are looking towards the bottom of the Big 12. But this will be an entertaining football game. The B-side at 7 o'clock is Temple at 2-3, and three, heading on the road to Central Florida, who's 4-1 and one on ESPN. Temple had a nice start to the season, but they've had losses to all the good teams on the schedule at this point in Duke, Rutgers, and Memphis. The defense isn't bad. They've only allowed 23.3 points per game in those losses, but they only scored 5.6. Leighton Jordan at linebacker could be a future NFLer. He leads the team with 4.5 sacks. That places him pretty up there on pretty high up there on the list nationally. He has an interception as well this season. Now Central Florida finally got the game going against SMU last week. Again, it was rescheduled multiple times. They won 41 to 19. John Rice Plumley, known for his running ability more than his passing in that option offense, only at 27 yards on the ground, but was 20 for 29 passing for 316 yards and two touchdowns. Ryan O'Keefe had both those touchdown cast catches and finished with six total for 117 yards. Javon Baker had six for 138. Isaiah Bowers had three rushing touchdowns. They're huge favorites here, and they have Cincinnati next week, so they got a 
button down, knock off Temple, and prepare for the Bearcats. Friday, October 14th, we do have a doubleheader at 7.30 SMU. This SMU team at 2-3 and three will be hosting Navy at 2-3 and three on ESPN. Now, Tanner Mordecai put the ball in the air 45 times against that Central Florida team, but did not find the end zone. The Stangs have lost to Maryland on the road by 7, home to TCU by 8, and on the road at Central Florida by 22 to hit a three-game losing skid as they appear to be getting worse, not better. Now, they will also have Cincinnati in a couple weeks after a bye. Now, Navy put up 53 points on Tulsa last week, but has had a tough season that opened with a loss at Delaware uh, otherwise, so not so great there for the midshipmen. SMU is almost a two-touchdown favorite here, but they will have to watch themselves limping into the bye week. At 8 o'clock, FIU at 2-2 two two is hosting UTSA, who is 4-2. This is on the CBS Sports Network. U- UTSA is 32-point favorites on the road. The Roadrunners, road, holy boy, the Roadrunners came out of a big win against uh, Western Kentucky last time out, 31-28. to and uh, they went up big early and held on late. The offense is awesome. The defense isn't. Frank Harris had 273 yards passing and 61 on the ground as he had a touchdown each way. And the big bad birds put up 486 yards of offense, only five more than the Hilltoppers. Now, FIU doesn't have any photos for half its roster on major sports websites. It was blown out by UConn last week. They beat Bryant in overtime, New Mexico State, and lost to Texas State and the same Western Kentucky team, 73 to nothing. So UTSA just might cover the spread here. Your noon slate for Saturday, October 15th, the biggest weekend, the biggest Saturday we've had this college football season up to this point, and the biggest as it looks right now so you don't want to miss it we'll start off with our top views in the noon window number 10 penn state is 5 and 0 they're heading to ann arbor to play number 4 michigan who is 6 and 0 this is the big noon kickoff for fox this is obviously michigan's biggest test of the season so far penn state did have to travel to auburn earlier in the year but um Auburn's looking like a bit of an afterthought now, even though it can be tough to win there, especially at night. Now, Penn State's offense hasn't looked particularly scary because Sean Clifford is only completing 62% of his passes for nine touchdowns and two interceptions. Nick Singleton, however, running back, is averaging 7.3 yards per carry and looks like a monster back there. J.J. McCarthy is leading the country with a 73.8 completion percentage. Not sure that he's been tested for real he still makes some questionable decisions at least sean clifford has been there i don't know how many years now five six seven eight thirteen who knows several years there for sean for sean clifford blake quorum is second in the country with 11 touchdowns and three and third in rushing so i actually think both teams are very much going to be relying on their top running backs currently michigan is a six and a half point favorite with a 52 over under so not a ton of it points are expected i'm a little surprised that the wolverines are favored by that much looks like the over under yeah it's still 52 i like penn state a lot 
going on the road is difficult. Michigan, I just it's hard to, to trust in JJ McCarthy in um, what he's doing so far. Neither team has played an offense ranked in the top 40, so the defenses have not been tested. And I've really liked Penn State's secondary this year. Penn State did play a little sloppy against Northwestern, although that was strange weather conditions. And Michigan, again, has has put away Maryland in a game that seemed to have a lot of calls involved. They did end up putting away Indiana last week with all the conditions there. And they did beat Iowa fittingly there. We know Iowa can't put up any points. So this will be a very interesting game, and it it's just a barometer for both of these teams to see where they're at. It's just unfortunate that the loser is clearly going to be number three in the pecking order for the Big Ten East. But for us as viewers, it doesn't get too much bigger than this. However, we do have several other juicy matchups on the slate. I'm leaning Penn State here. But if J.J. McCarthy can really shine and make some big throws in a big game here, they can make the difference between a Big Ten championship or not, depending on how the Ohio State game goes at the end of the year, this is that that'd be huge. I want to stay in the Big Ten for the next big noon game. I'm going Minnesota at 4-1 at number 24, Illinois, who is 5-1 on the Big Ten Network. I think this is a big game as well. Minnesota will be well-rested coming off a bye week, and they're six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road with the top five running back in Mo Ibrahim expected to be back after missing the Purdue loss. Illinois has the number two overall defense in the country. They slipped and gave up that spot to Minnesota, who currently has the number one defense in the country. Now, Illinois will be in its second big defensive battle in a row after beating Iowa 9-6 in a field goal battle last week. They have a top five running back in Chase Brown. They might be missing Tommy DeVito at quarterback who rolled his ankle in the first quarter last week and didn't return. He's still questionable. He was one of like 15 starting quarterbacks out last week on teams. It was a rough go. Now back up, Arthur Stikowski looked like a big drop off. Now, the kicker looked okay because he was actually a backup, and they actually had several other guys that are banged up, so Illinois could have quite a lengthy injury report. But the over-under is 38.5 points, not far off from the over-under that was set for the Illinois-Iowa game that crushed the under last week. This game won't be as exciting to watch from an offensive perspective, obviously, but these are actually two teams with decent offenses and great defenses, great Decent offenses, great defenses. There we go. Playing good football when the key pieces are healthy. So this could actually be a really great game, even if it finishes like 21 to 17 and hits the under. I think these are two quality football programs playing good football against each other. The winner is going to be the favorite to take the Big Ten West. So keep that in mind. As Wisconsin and Iowa, Nebraska obviously have all been struggling programs here this year. My mid-level slate, and a few of these have been demoted because of the strength of that Michigan-Penn State game that will be going on. But Old Miss at 6-0 and ranked 9th will be hosting Auburn, who's 3-3 on ESPN. The Rebels are 15-point favorites at home after Jackson Dart had a big game last week that will hopefully carry over and make Old Miss a two-dimensional uh offensive attack there, not just relying on that explosive ground game. They can certainly pull away from an Auburn team with horrible quarterback play that's struggling to move the football. 
and continue to try and move up the poles. Although, again, we haven't seen a whole lot of movement in that top eight range, really, through most of the season. But um, if they can successfully punch out Auburn here, Old Miss finally starting to see some real movement in the polls. Hopefully. Now, Oklahoma's 3-3. Three and three. Thrilling. They're hosting Kansas, who's 5-1 and one and ranked number 19. This is the ESPN 2 noon game. Who would have thought in the preseason that this game would be worth a flyer? And not because Kansas might be able to hang with Oklahoma, but because Kansas has looked so much better and Oklahoma looks like a dumpster fire. Now, the line is 7.5 Oklahoma's way, but both starting quarterbacks are questionable. I'm thinking Dylan Gabriel will be ready to go since it's been two weeks by the time kickoff happens that he's been in concussion protocol at that point. After the TCU game, who knows? After seeing uh, Tua get knocked out of that Dolphins game earlier in the NFL season, kind of reigniting concussion protocol, safety discussions. Jaden Daniels, uh, Jalen Daniels, injured his shoulder in the first half last week against TCU and did not return. Jason Bean stepped in for Kansas, and uh, he started the last season and was not particularly productive, but he was in the back half of this game and scored touchdowns coming out of the half to really get this game moving towards the over after a low-scoring defensive battle in the first half. So he continued to kind of keep the Jayhawks fired up there. But Brent Venables definitely got after his team after the decimation in the Red River rivalry last week to Texas. But I don't know how you plot out linear progression from what little we've seen the past couple weeks against um, or for the Oklahoma Sooners. So to project a win regardless of the site or who plays quarterback for Kansas is difficult. Dylan Gabriel again might return. They could still lose. But this should be an interesting game with Kansas being a hot underdog and Oklahoma possibly staring at a losing record. So that's Kansas at Oklahoma on ESPN2. And finally, in my mid-tier, the ABC game will be number 22, Texas at 4-2. They'll be hosting Iowa State at 3-3. Now, Quinn Ewers, this is only his second full game as a starter here at Texas or playing college football at all. So hopefully against an Iowa State defense that held Kansas State to 10 points last week and still lost, he'll be able to put up some points and show what he's really made of. The Texas Longhorns are 16.5, point favorites, and it'll just be interesting to see if he can put points up on this top 25 passing defense. They're 11th overall. And, uh, man, Iowa State struggles to put up points despite the fact that they seem to have a decent quarterback developing there in uh, Deckers. So only a couple games worth noting other than that in the noon slot. Old Dominion at 2-3 and three is heading to play the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina on ESPNU. They are 6-0. and oh. Again, Grayson McCall putting up numbers as one of the top quarterbacks in the country. This was a team that was, again, ranked in the top 25 a couple times last season and is still riding, kind of riding that wave, trying to stay unbeaten just like James Madison in the non-Power 5 group of teams. Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech in the opener, and it's been a rough slide since then for both teams, really, because Virginia Tech at 2-4 and four is hosting Miami. They're 2-3 and three on ESPN3 at 12:30. Both teams have losing records. Miami's supposed to have a bounce-back year competing in the Coastal Division of the ACC, and it's been a, a tough slog there as uh, Mario Cristobal tries to rebound that group. I fully expect them to win at Virginia Tech, which is just 
turning so far sideways it's upside down or pointing the other direction. And um, But that's a game that will be on your television, Miami at Virginia Tech on ESPN3 at 12.30. The afternoon slate. Let's hit a couple notables real quick here. At 1 o'clock, Buffalo at 3 and 3 is traveling to UMass. The Minutemen are 1 and 5. This is on ESPN3. Only worth noting because Buffalo is first place in the MAC East. They are the only 3 and 0 team in the MAC right now. And at 2 o'clock, UConn is at Ball State. This is also on ESPN3. Ball State's 3 and 3. UConn is a shocking 3 and 4. They can move to 500. Just worth uh, noting there. So the real games at 3:30. Number three, Alabama, 6-0. They're traveling to number six, Tennessee. The Vols are 5-0. This is on CBS and being broadcast everywhere. Game day will be in Knoxville to watch this highly, hotly, hotly, highly debated Tennessee team that has three wins over teams that were ranked at the time they played them so far this season, but zero wins over teams currently ranked in the top 25. I still think they've played a, a good schedule especially when you consider they're one of the teams that took an early bye and still has seven games left to play. The offense is the best in the country. Hennon Hooker is still in the Heisman race. He has not thrown an interception this season. The defense can force pressure. It's been very disruptive at times, including five sacks last week. Cedric Tillman might be back at receiver. He's missed a couple games now. If he's not in, Jalen Hyatt and Brew McCoy have been prolific in his Offense, uh, this is offensive side pieces there. Tennessee is also 28 for 28, converting possessions in the red zone into some kind of score, either touchdowns or field goals. So very good at converting there. Now, Alabama is the best defense they've played this season, so it will definitely be a test for this team. Bryce Young is hopefully expected back for this Alabama team. We don't know that for sure. The Tide had three sacks and forced 14 pressures against Texas A&M last week. They bothered Haynes King the entire night. Now, Tennessee is third in the country in 30-plus yard plays. They're number one in 40-plus yard plays. They aired out down the field. Alabama is top seven in plays going 10-plus yards and top seven in plays going 20-plus yards. So they move the ball more in the intermediate or medium levels of the field by segmentation, I guess, and most uh, statistical breakdowns. So there you go. A lot of offense, hopefully. Or we could see the flip side where there's a lot of defense. Now, Tennessee, to their credit, 11th in the run defense. They're 127th in passing defense. So Alabama can take full advantage, assuming Bryce Young is in or reasonably healthy and able to perform to a certain percentage of his normal health and ability. So we'll see about that. The over under is 65 and a half. So just points, just points are expected. Jameer Gibbs, the running back has been the primary weapon for Alabama and moving the football. So I expect to see more of that again, as should you. And um, we'll see. It's just a lot of passing. We just expect to see a lot of passing from both quarterbacks some up-tempo offense, lots of plays probably, and hopefully Bryce Young will be in this game. But this is this is not quite the impact that it could have potentially because these teams are from different divisions. 
So if Tennessee loses, there's still a route to the SEC championship game. If Alabama loses, there's still a route to the SEC championship game. One plays in the East, one plays in the West. Tennessee still has Georgia on the schedule. Alabama's toughest games. They do have to play at LSU. They do have both Mississippi schools on there. They play at Ole Miss and get Mississippi State at home next week, I believe. So tough games still ahead for both of these schools. And just a huge game and a and a must watch. Alabama's currently favored seven and a half on the road. I think that's assuming that Bryce Young is going to be ready and playing it pretty close to full health. All right, I know what you're thinking. Two of the top three or four Big Ten teams are playing each other. Two of the top three or four SEC teams are playing each other. That's about it, right? There's nothing better on the slate than that. Well, what if I told you two of the top three or four Big 12 teams are also in competition the same afternoon? The 3.30 ABC game is number 13 TCU hosting number 8 Oklahoma State. A couple of 5-0 and teams. TCU's three and a half point favorites at home with a 68.5 over under in a shootout game. Now, both teams are averaging 46.4 points per game. They're tied for third most in the country. TCU seems to have a better balance on the offensive side. They're averaging 60 more yards per game than Oklahoma State. Yeah, but the Cowboys are averaging 10 more passing yards. So we're getting that ground game getting a little bit going a little bit more for the Horned Frogs, despite the fact that we're familiar with Spencer Sanders running the ball all over the place for the Cowboys now, something he didn't do as much in previous years. Both defenses are giving up over 400 yards per game. TCU's is 108th in passing defense. Oklahoma State's is 125th. We're talking Arkansas, North Carolina, Vanderbilt, Ohio, Bowling Green, Tennessee, pass defense territory. That's bad. That's real bad. So TCU, Kansas first half turned into a defensive slugfest. The first, you know, the first half last week before we saw more points in the second after they figured things out in halftime, at halftime a little bit there and made some adjustments. So I don't expect a, a whole lot of defense here in Oklahoma State. Same same side. They won 36 to 25 over Baylor last week in what was supposed to be a tough, gritty rematch of the Big 12 championship game last year where the Cowboys came up an inch short on the last play of the game, just short of the goal line on a dive. And um that's it's not gonna be the same either. There's not a lot of whole whole lot of defense on the Oklahoma State side as their um defensive coordinator left for Ohio State. So this is gonna be offense, offense, offense. And this should be a real fun one. If you have the ability to have two screens going at once, as I do, my two televisions, I tell you, you will never go back. Alabama on Tennessee on one station, on one TV, Oklahoma State and TCU on the other. That'll be, that's that's why you do that, to watch both games at the same time. Again, TCU, favorite at home, three and a half, but this is a coin flip, baby. You got two great quarterbacks here. Spencer Sander, Sanders, I've never been a great believer in. Max Duggan on the other side has been very, very efficient, but Sanders has been able to add kind of that rushing element to him that's been very effective. And I think he has to do that to really win big football games. He has not been as efficient passing the football, being forced to make big plays with his arm to win football games. And Max Duggan seems to be able to, to do that. So we'll see, because Duggins can run a bit too. So this will be a very interesting ball game to watch. I think if you're a real big football fan, as far as 
watching the intricacies, I think will be interesting to watch from a defensive perspective. How is each defense able to slow the other team's quarterback? But this will be the complete opposite of the Illinois-Minnesota game that's going on in the earlier time slot, that's for sure. At the mid-level, we have some great games as well. Number 18, Syracuse is 5-0. and They're coming off a bye. They're at home against number 15, NC State. The Wolfpack is 5-1. and This is on the ACC Network. It's terribly unfortunate that Nick Leary is probably out with his shoulder injury sustained against Florida State. If that is true, um, NC State's probably pretty pretty screwed considering they don't really have a backup quarterback as wild as that is. They brought in a former walk-on who's, I believe, technically listed as a wide receiver in uh, in the second half of the ball game last week. Syracuse is only three and a half favorites, though, at home with a 44 and a half over under. So that just tells you defense and a coin flipper at home, more or less, which is a little ironic because the defense for NC State can really disrupt offenses. And Syracuse, which does not have a beat you over the head offense that we're used to seeing, but Schrader at quarterbacks completing almost 71% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, throwing five touchdowns, rushing only one pick on the season. Sean Tucker still a great running back back there. The defense is a solid group, broadly, broadly speaking. And uh, NC State did a great job just shutting Florida State down with no quarterback on the offensive side of the ball to provide any support and uh, won the football game last week. So despite the fact that NC State's undefeated at home coming off a bye and Nick Leary's probably not coming back to play on the road here. It's only three and a half point favorite at home for the Orangemen. So it'll take a little effort for them to try to get past this, this defense, this great group of linebackers for NC State to move to 6-0. and But just a very intriguing, again, defensive matchup there. Be a little more interesting if the quarterback was in. But just, a, I think, a good ACC game in a conference where there's not a lot of good football going on right now. Currently, Georgia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech are all unwatchable teams, certainly if they're playing each other. They're just not good football teams. Louisville, Boston College, help Pittsburgh with a winning record. Miami, they're all borderline right now, especially if they take a couple more losses. And if they play games amongst each other, those are just football games that are barely making mentions uh, specifically on, on my watch guide right now. And I pretty much talk about everybody. You know, I don't mention the Mac a lot because they are the worst conference in college football this season, but I even mentioned half of the Sun Belt, half of Conference USA, but uh, certainly not the the lower tier games, the bad teams playing other bad teams in the uh, non-Power 5 games. Those are not not enjoyable to watch. And as far as Power 5 conferences, the Big Ten certainly got some stinkers. That's why Northwestern pretty much hasn't been mentioned in a month, and Iowa's been a footnote for three weeks. But uh, the ACC, man, that's a, that's a rough, rough sledding, probably for the rest of the season in general. Also in the 3.30 time slot, Arkansas is 3-3. Three and three. They're traveling to play BYU, who's 4-2. and two. This is on ESPN. Now the Razorbacks should be healthy. K.J. Jefferson should be returning from an Arkansas team that's been on a bit of a slide. BYU lost last week, of course, to Notre Dame. And Arkansas was thumped by Mississippi State. But these are two bad passing defenses right now with great high-profile quarterbacks. 
Arkansas just trying to scrape by on the road here. BYU trying to hang tough on a, on a very difficult schedule. The over-under 63. Again, Arkansas favored by one and a half on the road. On the road, This should be a really good ball game as well between two teams that aren't nationally you know, making big waves or anything like that. Probably won't make any New Year's Six-Day bowl games here, but still a really good ball game between the Razorbacks and the BYU Cougars. Vanderbilt is 3-3. Three and three. They're heading to play number one Georgia, who's 6-0. and oh. That's on the SEC Network, also at 3-30. The Bulldogs are massive 38-point favorites. Again, just trying to see how the Bulldogs look here. Vanderbilt ended up putting some points on Old Miss at the end of that blowout loss last week. They have a true freshman back there in A.J. Swans. So we'll see how he does against this Georgia Bulldogs defense. It's ready to rip them apart. Georgia just needs to show that they can um, maintain a, a level of consistency here on both sides of the football and just power through some lower-tier opponents. Now, my games of note. Speaking of bad football teams, the Big Ten's got several of them. Also in the 3.30 is Maryland at 4-2, traveling to Hoosierville to play the Indianas at 3-3. This is the ESPN2 game. Indiana's just not a really good football team. Maryland is favored by 11 on the road here with a 61-point over-under. The Hoosiers were able to keep things interesting there with Michigan in a game where there was a lot of questionable calls, horrible medical emergency. I'm not sure the line should be double digits, but Maryland is the better football team on both sides of the ball. Maryland's just that team you watch and you're like, man, this could be a great, a really great group if they didn't drop balls and they got stops when they needed to and hit the big play consistently. And that's just, it's just Maryland, you know, very middling. Can't quite hit that upper level. And it's just too bad. But Indiana there struggled since the 2020 season where they did well in the shortened period. And um, I think it's really telling when you're only one win off from the team that you're hosting and you're double-digit underdog at home. So also at 3.30, some of your ESPN Plus games. Kent State is 2-4. and four. They're traveling to Toledo. The Rockets are 4-2 and two and the best team in the MAC. I know I mentioned Buffalo earlier. Well, Toledo is the best team in the West, probably the best team overall. They led by, well, they led 45-7 to last week at one point against Northern Illinois and just beat the hell out of them. Quinian Mitchell returned two of his four interceptions for touchdowns. They have playmakers on the defensive end. They have uh, the ability to certainly run the ball. They have a good quarterback there. Toledo on ESPN Plus hosting Kent State. Western Kentucky's 3-3. Three and three. They're traveling to Middle Tennessee. The red, blue, yellow. The Blue Raiders are 3-3 three and three as well. Austin Reed has over 2,000 yards and 19 touchdown passes on the year. The former national school Florida kid transfer. West Florida? East Florida? That's eluding me now. Several time national championship at a, a lower level. We transferred here into this West Kentucky program to pick up where Bailey Zappi the now Patriots starter, um, left off. So that'll be a lot of points in that game. Middle Tennessee and Eastern Kentucky. 4 o'clock, ESPN Plus. Number 25, James Madison is 5-0. and They're playing at Georgia Southern, who is 3-3. Three and three. I don't think they've won a game since they knocked off Nebraska. James Madison is elite on both sides of the football. Elite defense. Great offense. They have a great quarterback in Todd Centineo. Who was the seventh best quarterback rating in the country 
15 touchdowns, one pick. I think they're the number one run defense, pass defense. I don't have in front of me. This is literally uh, like a top-notch team. This is holding up a sign, we want Bama. This is college game day is probably going to James a James Madison game at some point down the line if they can stay undefeated. That's what we're looking at here. James Madison, a good football team. Hopefully we get them on a real network and get some real attention at some point because this is a really good football team at the non-Power 5 level. Tulane, 4 o'clock, 5-1 and one on the road. South Florida, they're 1-5. This is on ESPNU. Tulane is a good football team with a great defense. They shut out East Carolina in the second half in a 24-9 win last week. They couldn't get anything done on the ground, finishing with 41 yards. That's troubling. They were outgained in total yardage. Also troubling, but they forced two turnovers and averaged 10 yards per pass play. Now, South Florida has played a tough schedule. They've been blown out by BYU at Louisville and against East Carolina. They did lose by a field goal to Florida on the road and had a lead against Cincinnati on the road last week before losing 28-24. to So this team lingers around. Tulane doesn't get uh, Central Florida or Cincinnati until November in this American Conference race, but they can't overlook the Bulls here. Your evening slate starts at 5.30 with Washington at 4-2, hosting Arizona, who's 3-3. This is on the Pac-12 network. Yes, the Pac-12 network is taking this game between two teams with horrible passing defenses and a 73-point over-under. Kind of a bummer in that respect. The Huskies are 15.5-point favorites, and that seems like a little too much. Arizona still averaged 4.6 yards per carry against Oregon last week. They were 10 for 17 on third down. If they didn't have three turnovers, you know, a minus three turnover margin, the game would have been closer than the 49 to 22 blowout that it was. Washington right now is in complete free fall, and uh, Michael Penix is part of the problem. He just needs to get his headspace right there. But this is on my mentionable games. If you have a chance to watch it, that's cool. But we got some better games coming up. Another game worth noting at 7 o'clock, South Alabama's 4-1. They're hosting Louisiana Monroe. They're 2-4. This is your fun NFL Network game. The Jaguars are a field goal away from beating UCLA on the road to being 5-0. The Bruins had to kick a field goal to survive that game. Had it not gone through, one bounce of the ball was different. South Alabama would be 5-0 right now with a key win over UCLA on the road. So I'll let you just marinate in that for a second here. I can't tell you exactly how they win football games. They do convert 48% of their third downs. That's good. They score 35 points per game. That's all right. And they have the 19th best defense in the country. That's better than Kentucky, Cincinnati, Utah, Clemson. So rank the Jaguars, you cowards. Also at 7 o'clock, LSU's 4-2. They're traveling to the Swamp to play the 4-2 Florida Gators. This will be your big ESPN heavily advertised mega macho game here. And let me tell you, it could be a real sleeper. Now, Florida's favored by 2.5. A reminder, two new coaches here overhauling everything. Had to bring in, you know, new transfers, let guys that didn't want to be there anymore transfer out. First recruiting class, all that good jazz. Jane Daniels threw the ball 45 times against Tennessee last week. 
He had 300 yards passing and only one touchdown to show for it and a pick as well. He's known as a scrambler, and he only had 38 yards on 16 carries. He is the offense, and the box score says LSU should have had more than 13 pathetic points last week. But they didn't run the ball much at all, and the defense was not good. This team had a win against Mississippi State at home to hang its hat on at this point, and a four-point win at Auburn, who probably won't make it to a bowl game. And the slope could get slippery pretty fast with Old Miss... Alabama, and a road game to Arkansas after a holiday, uh, Halloween weekend, bye weekend there. So LSU better buckle up here. Florida beat Utah, as we hear about over and over and over again, because it was a lifetime ago, and has since split the difference in four games with a margin of 10 points or less. Losing to Kentucky and at Tennessee in solid showings, but struggling in wins over South Florida and in Missouri last week. So I guess this is the typical play-at-the-level-of-your-opponent kind of team. I'm not sure what the hell that leaves us for this game, but it should be interesting. Florida was outgained in pretty much every offensive metric last week, offensively, by uh, Iffy Missouri there, except for the eye-popping 7.2 yards per carry they averaged. Anthony Richardson threw a touchdown pass, something he doesn't always do, but he was only 8-for-14 for for 66 yards and still managed to throw a pick. I realized that um, carrying the ball was more important since they found something that worked, but um, just not great there. Not great there. So this could be a bit of a sloppy football game here. It may be entertaining football, but it probably won't be good football. Also at 7.30, a game that I would consider my one of these middling, middling watches here. Number 16, Mississippi State's 5-1. and one. They're heading to Kentucky. The Wildcats are 4-2. This is on the SEC Network. This is immediately downgraded of Will Levis can't play. He's day-to-day right now, and um, if he's not 100% or close to it, quite frankly, this is going to be a bad football game. Offensive line is still poor, and he's going to get hit or scramble or re-hurt. It's just not going to be a good look. If he is healthy, this might be a decent football game. Kentucky is a top 25 defense in terms of yards allowed, and Mississippi State doesn't rank nearly that high in terms of yards allowed, but both are top 20 in terms of opposing quarterback rating allowed and comparable in completion percentage allowed. So you may get a lot of yardage against Mississippi State, but you're going to work hard for it, and it's not going to be terribly efficient. Will Rogers, one of the top passers in the country, top five, very efficient offense there. You know what? These reports aren't looking so great for Will Levis, so we're going to downgrade this to just a notable game unless something changes there on Saturday, and we're going to move that LSU-Florida game up to a mid-level game. Worth checking out a little bit, even if it is a cluster. Now, a few more notable games in the 7.30 time slot that could get interesting as, as time goes on throughout the evening. Now, Nebraska's 3-3. They're at Purdue. The Boilermakers are 4-2. This is the Big Ten Network game. All right, so Nebraska's all of a sudden 500. The same team that lost to Northwestern, 31-28. Georgia Southern, 45-42. And Oklahoma, 49-14. None of those teams have won a football game since beating Nebraska. And it's now coined a moniker that there's a Nebraska curse, ironically enough. 
They've beaten Indiana 35 to 21 and won at Rutgers 14 to 13 the past two weeks. Purdue is rightfully a two touchdown favorite here and in contention for the Big Ten West along with Illinois and Minnesota. But if something goofy happens here, Nebraska is suddenly in the mix. So it's just worth noting that. Stanford is one and four. They're playing at Notre Dame. The Irish are three and two. This will be on NBC 730. So y'all get it. Notre Dame might be back. They took down BYU last week, 28 to 20, coming off that bye week in those flashy alternate uniforms in Las Vegas. They might be settling down on offense. Drew Payne is completing 72% of his passes. Tight end Michael Myers, tight end Michael Meyer, Halloween on the brain, is in the record books now as far as accomplishments and records and the tight end position for Notre Dame. He'll continue to rack bows up. They're up to 25 points per game, converting 42% on third down. That's, that's better than they were to start the season. The run defense is giving up 174 yards per game. That can't happen. Now, Stanford lost a wild game last week. They had Oregon State on the ropes. They were up four or five points as time was running down in the game. Chance Nolan threw a a pass better to one of Stanford's corners than his receiver. But the receiver reached down and plucked it out of the corner's hands and ran it 56 yards for a game-winning touchdown with only a few seconds left on the game. They uh, took the lead there. They didn't even kick the extra point. They didn't want to risk it being blocked or run back for a two-point conversion the other way. They would get Stanford the lead back. So they took a knee on the extra point and won the football game by one point, I believe it was. So Stanford, close to grabbing its second one of the season. They have bursts where they look competent, but it's been a tough go for that football team. So I expect Notre Dame to win here. They're heavily favored, but Stanford can pull some things out. I don't know. They can do some things, that Cardinals team. I'm not giving up on them. One of the few one or two win teams that will go along through the season here that I'll probably keep an eye on. Also at 7.30, Eastern Carolina's 3-3. Three three. They're hosting Memphis. The Tigers are 4-2. and two. This is on ESPNU. This is kind of the middle group, two of the middling teams of the American Conference as we sit now. Cincinnati, Tulane, Central Florida kind of riding, riding high there at the moment. Seth Hennigan and Holton Alters are two solid quarterbacks in this conference, and um, they'll be battling it out here. Eastern Carolina's favored by five. And this it should be a good good football game here in the American, kind of on the quieter side of things with a number of interesting games going on here. On that note, let's hit our top 730 game. We talked top Big Ten teams. We talked top SEC teams. We talked top Big 12 teams. So let's talk a little ACC. Number four, Clemson 6-0. They're heading to Seminole Country to play the Florida State Seminoles, they're 4-2. and two. This is the ABC night game. Florida State did not look so hot last week against NC State, but will be looking to rebound here. Clemson isn't really the team you want to do that against, but the Tigers are only slight favorites. FSU only gave up 170 yards per game in the air, which means we're going to get a lot of sophomore running back Jordan Shipley for the uh, Seminoles defense there, trying to carve them up a great running back there. While on the other end, Clemson is going to shut down the ground game, and that'll mean a lot of airtime for Jordan Travis and the Clemson secondary. So we'll probably have a little bit of alternating philosophies here on the offensive side of things. 
This game is currently sitting at three and a half Clemson's way with a 51 point over under. That means it's expected to be a closer game than Michigan, Penn State, Tennessee, Alabama, and it's supposed to be closer than TCU, Oklahoma State, which is sitting around four points right now, and a a lot of the big games on the slate. It's sitting at the same number right now as Utah, USC, which we'll tackle in just a second, but this is very much supposed to be a game. Florida State is in because Clemson is not blowing a lot of metrics out of the water right now. And this is a road game and a fired up crowd that's going to be ready to really let Clemson have it here. Now, Florida State's actually lost two straight games. The 19-17 loss to NC State last week, and they lost to Wake Forest, 31-21. But Clemson, after beating Wake Forest in double overtime, then beating NC State by 10 points in a grinder, then struggling against Boston College a little bit in the first half to get going before blowing them out last week, has not just not looked like a um, top-notch playoff team. Of course, no one has this season, but everything that Vegas is saying is that these teams are actually quite close in a number of different uh, metrics. And really... Clemson is not blowing it. They're not top 10, top five. They're not, they're not great in any specific metrics either. Now, of course, they still have injuries on the defensive side. The offensive side we knew was going to be an issue this year. It very much looked like it for a couple games. DJ Ungale started to put things together specifically in extra innings in the Wake Forest game. But this is set up to be one of the best games of the night if Florida State can hang around. And Clemson doesn't have a whole lot of games left that will be competitive, presumably. They get Syracuse at home in a couple of weeks here, which is going to be a game that very much hinges on it being a Death Valley and and falling in Clemson's favor, I'm sure. And the last three games of the season, again, will be at home, Louisville, Miami, South Carolina. Those teams might all be fighting for bull bids, but um, it wouldn't be surprising if the coaching staff's got a little fight out of them, but that's a nice stretch. The Notre Dame game on the road tucked in there on uh, November 5th could be a little sneaky if the Irish can get things together in the next three weeks here. But this is going to be a big game for Clemson to establish itself in both moving the football. It'd be nice if DJ Ungley could move the ball through the air and get some passes downfield. He's been using his legs a bit recently as well. And if that defense, despite the injuries they've had, Still, this was a defensive line. It's supposed to go seven, eight guys deep. So if they can get some pressure on Jordan Travis, who has been injury prone, he gets hit, he gets some pressure, then the the Tigers will cover comfortably, I think. But this is set up to be projected to be a really good football game. Now, at 8 o'clock, the last conference we haven't tackled as far as big football games so far has been the Pac-12. Well, here you go. Utah and USC, two of the best four teams, I'd say, in the Pac-12. UCLA and Oregon are the other two competing for the conference, I'd say, right now. The Utah Utes are ranked 20th. They're 4-2, hosting number 7. USC, they're 6-0. Utah had the horrible loss to UCLA last week, where they were put up a lot of yards, were very proficient against the Bruins' defense, which has been struggling 
but just could not stop that onslaught of offense. And Utah's not looking at all like a national championship contender. USC, on the other hand, getting a lot of sacks, not turning the ball over on the offensive side and forcing turnovers on the defensive side. So proficient there. But they have not been able to stop the run, and Utah will happily try to cram the ball all over USC. So this game is on Fox. This is 8 o'clock, and the line is currently Utah by 3.5. Another meaningful game here in the evening slate that could really pave the way for one team to win the conference here. And just a, just a powerhouse matchup. USC, if you haven't watched much of them recently, a couple of games have been the Pac, on the Pac-12 network. Some of them have been really late. Some of them have been against bad teams. But this is Caleb Williams. Again, the Oklahoma transfer. This is uh, Dye, uh, Austin Dye, for the running back transfer from Oregon, who has looked excellent. This is Jordan Addison, who transferred in from Pittsburgh. He was the receiver of the year last season. So there are weapons all over this offense. They protect Caleb Williams decently. The defense, again, sacks. Good uh, good schemes there. And struggle a bit up the middle and stopping the run game. Utah's averaging over 200 yard rushing yards per game. And uh, Utah does like to run a lot of tight end sets. That's their specialty. But this is still an offense that will happily cram it um, where USC doesn't want it. Also worth noting... Both teams are top 20 in plays of 10-plus yards, and USC is top 10 in plays of 20-plus yards. So we will see some bigger play action, some intermediate play action as well. So we'll see some offense. We'll see some defense. We'll see some turnovers. We'll see some sacks. And this should just be a great game between two great West Coast teams that we don't see as often. We haven't seen as much of the past few seasons. The last 8 o'clock game and it's a, a mid-level watch, is North Carolina at 5-1. They're heading to Duke, the 4-2 Dukesters. This is on the ACC Network, a battle of basketball schools hoping to win NCAA championships in hoop ball this year. Now, North Carolina, of course, Drake May is on the, on the field for that squad. Riley Leonard is a great dual threat on the field for the Dukies who continue to do decently well uh, for that squad. The over-under 67, so there'll be points. We know North Carolina can't stop anybody. Duke isn't too far behind, and North Carolina is a seven-point favorite on the road, but this should be a fun game with lots of points and decent quarterback play. And again, Drake May is is going to be a star. So check this game out between the other powerhouse matchups on commercial breaks. And finally, when you're laying on your couch, covered in dried sweat, your lip quivering from the inevitable upsets of the day that left you stunned, and the crazy plays that left your jaw wide, well, there's a few more games on the slate because we have the best Mountain West teams in action, a couple middling um, Pac-12 teams here. So your late night snack slate. At 9 o'clock, the Pac-12 network has decided to adopt Washington State at 4-2 and, and Oregon State at 4-2. and two. The Beavers are hosting their 3.5-point favorites, which is fine. I believe I said Chance Nolan through the interception in the uh, recap of the Stanford game there. It was not. They have a freshman in now, Ben 
G, we'll call him. I can't pronounce his last name, but he is not too much more efficient in his limited time than Chance was or has been. He started in the uh, halfway through the Utah game, and we'll see if he's able to move the needle on this offense at all. But he'll have a tough defense in Washington State, another squad, kind of middling offense right now, great defense, and it's been a tough start for the Cougars who are now 1-2 and two in conference play. After having Oregon on the ropes just a few weeks ago, then losing at USC 30-14 to last week. Oh, just a heartbreaker there. And uh, these two teams are just not quite in the mix for the Pac-12. So it's just a, just a bummer there, but this should still be a good defensive football game. Oregon State hosting Washington State on the Pac-12 network at 9 o'clock. Now at 10.30 and 10.45. 10.30 on the CBS Sports Network UNLV is 4-2. They're hosting Air Force. UNLV is actually 2-1 the Mountain West. Air Force is 1-2. Air Force is favored by 10 on the road here in Reliant Stadium in Las Vegas. That's where UNLV, UNLV plays. They share the stadium with the Raiders. UNLV lost to San Jose last week in a tough one. San Jose plays at 10:45 on FS1. The Spartans are on the road playing Fresno State, who's sadly 1-4. And, four. and uh, that spread is 8.5 for the San Jose Spartans. Now, there seems to be a clear pecking order here right now. It's San Jose at the top of the Mountain West, followed by UNLV, followed by Air Force. There are separate divisions. But right now, the Spartans, who won the uh, Mountain West in 2020, are looking like a really good ball club. Somehow, Boise State, who was off this week, is also they're 3-0 in conference play. They've played more conference games than anyone. And they're 4-2 overall in the Mountain Division. But that is just not a very good football team. And a lot of the other teams are just, just in rough shape here. San Diego State, again, one of the worst offenses in the country. 3-3. Three and three, They're 1-1 overall. Fresno's 1-4. Hawaii's 1-5. Nevada's 2-4. New Mexico's 2-4. Utah State, who won the Mountain West last year, is 2-4. Wyoming's a surprising 4-3. Colorado State's 1-4. A lot of bad football in the Mountain West right now, unfortunately. But San Jose State, UNLV, and um, Air Force here are three of the better squads, apparently. Although Air Force, in their own right, after a good start to the season, has now lost two of the past four games, including on the road at last week to that Utah State team that does not look very good. So, rough loss there for Air Force and San Jose State. They aren't very prolific on the offensive side of the ball, but they have one of the better defenses in the country. They beat Portland State in the opener 21 to 17, which didn't look impressive at the time. Then they won it, or excuse me, then they lost to Auburn 24 to 16 in a close one there. They beat Western Michigan 34 to 6. They won at Wyoming 33 to 16. Then they hammered UNLV 40 to 7 last week, just shut down the running Rebels there. So they're in good shape here. They've got the road game to Fresno State this week. Then they play at New Mexico State, non conference game. Then they're home for Nevada and Colorado State before they finish up with road games at San Diego State, at Utah State, home against Hawaii. This team may not lose another football game with how this schedule is shaping up right now, and unfortunately with how uncompetitive the Mountain West Conference is looking this year after shaping up into a great group of teams last season. 
So that's UNLV hosting Air Force at 10.30 on CBS Sports Network. Air Force favorite on the road, double digits. And Fresno State, all banged up, hosting Fresno State at 10.45 on FS1. Game on the late slate is simply an 11.59 game in Honolulu. 1-5, Hawaii is hosting Nevada. The Wolfpack is 2-4. If you want to watch that, it'll be available to you on your television. The top week in college football deserves a little bit different top watch guide. So I will fill out each category for each time slot. But I'll start with your weekday watch. Your top weekday watch will be the Thursday, October 13th game at 7 o'clock with 3-2 and two Baylor heading to West Virginia. The 2-3 and three Mountaineers there will certainly challenge the Baylor Bears. This is on FS1. It should be a defensive battle between two teams which are currently flying under the radar at the moment and two quarterbacks which are a little bit better than their numbers have indicated so far this season. But I expect this, particularly Thursday, this is a great game to have lined up. Now my must watch, starting with the noon slot, is going to be number four Michigan hosting number 10 Penn State, the Fox game. Which team is essentially competing for second best in the Big Ten East at this moment in time, with Ohio State presumably the best team possibly in the country. Will Michigan and J.J. McCarthy be able to navigate this defense and move the ball on Penn State, or the Nittany Lions sneak in and grab one from Michigan here? This is a big, big football game. Which team is going to have a shot at the playoffs? This could be an eliminator if neither team can overcome Ohio State. So this is a big football game on Fox. The audible for the noon slate will be number 24, Illinois, hosting Minnesota on the Big Ten Network. Both teams only have one loss, and these are two of the better running backs and defenses in the country. These are really good football teams all the way around. Even if this is a lower scoring affair, it's going to be because these are good defenses, not just offenses that can't operate appropriately. So that is your noon audible. Your underrated noon game is number 22, Texas, hosting Iowa State on ABC. Can Quentin Ewers move the ball against a really good passing defense? That's going to be the question. This is only his second full start. Will he be able to put up some points on the Iowa State Cyclones? Will he struggle? This could be an indicator moving forward of what his ceiling might be in this season if he's not able to continue to improve, and that's already been stunted a bit due to his injury, and we're in the back half of the season already. Quentin Ewers here should mean more success for Texas moving forward. Now your check-in noon game is going to be the Oklahoma Sooners hosting number 19, Kansas on ESPN2. Will Kansas roll into Norman and roll over the Sooners? Presumably they grow a backbone and they're able to stand up a bit here. Is Dylan Gabriel going to be back in the game? Will that change the dimension of things? Will this defense be able to stand up? Will the offense for Kansas just be as efficient as other offenses have been and continue to roll here? This is going to be a, a, a good football game, I hope, at least from one perspective in, in Kansas's offensive operation. And this is the check-in game to see how it's going uh, on the nude slate. Your small screen nooner. Old Dominion's 2-3. and three, They're at Coastal Carolina. This is on ESPN. You can Coastal Carolina stay undefeated. They were getting national attention for the past two seasons and now nothing. They're still undefeated. Grayson McCall is still there. He's still an efficient quarterback. 
and still nothing on Coastal Carolina, not even in the rankings. So keep an eye on Coastal Carolina. Maybe they'll get there. They're receiving enough votes to kind of dance around uh, receiving a ranking soon if they can stay undefeated. We'll see if they start to get there. The 330 time slot is troublesome. I have the must-watch as number three, Alabama at Tennessee. He was ranked sixth on CBS. Can the Tide win in Knoxville? I think they can. But Tennessee, very threatening offense. Will Bryce Young be playing? Can Tennessee's defense, that horrible passing defense, be able to slow the Alabama offense down a bit? Again, the running back has been one of the key pieces of this passing offense. And Tennessee been trying to work on things on their defensive side of things. Just what will this chess mass chess match be? Could it turn into a shootout? Will it be more of a defensive battle? On the other hand, as far as the audible sections concerned, I put Clemson, I put Oklahoma State and TCU there in the afternoon slot. But really you should be watching both of these games as much as you can. That won't have as much defense, presumably, though. But TCU, Oklahoma State, with big 12 repercussions for the loser and great signs for the winner. That's the uh, ABC 330 game. That'll be my audible, although both that and Alabama, Tennessee. Man, I'd have them both on, if you could, separate screens there. Now, for underrated, the 330 slot as well, Arkansas at BYU. Arkansas 3-3, and BYU is 2-4-2. and and this is the ESPN game. Let me read you off the, the list of teams that these guys have lost to. Alabama, at Mississippi State, neutral site Texas A&M, off a missed field goal, at Oregon, at Notre Dame. These are still two very good football teams that have lost to other good football teams. They've each notched a solid win. These are still two good clubs going at it. So that is on your underrated watch amongst all the other chaos going on. Check in. Number 15, NC State, on the road at number 18, Syracuse, on the ACC Network. The Orange Men can move to 6-0. NC State might not have a quarterback. Or that defense might buckle up like it did last week against Florida State on the road. Was that on the road at home? Wherever that was. Anyways, NC State managed to pull it out. Quarterbackless, essentially, against Florida State last week. Well, they do it against Syracuse. This is a nice battle in the ACC. So check in and see what's going on there. Your small screen afternoon game is at 4 o'clock, and it's now ranked James Madison. They're ranked now playing Georgia Southern. That's squirreled away on ESPN+, Plus. if you can get your eyeballs on that. But James Madison, again, a great offense right now, proficient uh, defense, proficient offense, great defense, all the way around there, and just a great team to the point where they're actually getting national recognition at this point. Uh, Less than halfway into the season for them, only five games played so far. And your evening slate of games, your must-watch, I have USC at Utah, although Clemson and Florida State's right there with them. I had put that in the audible slot, though, for the sake of this exercise. So I have 8 o'clock Fox game, number 7 USC at number 20 Utah. The Utes have a legitimate shot to beat the Trojans, or maybe the Trojans drop Utah to 4-3 and three and continue to march on to possibly win the Pac-12. Or maybe the Utes really mix it up, beat the Trojans, and all of a sudden, we have a really interesting race with USC, UCLA, Utah still in the mix, and Oregon in the Pac-12 there. And my audible, of course, is Florida State hosting Clemson. And these two games, USC, Utah, and Clemson, Florida State, again, have the closest spreads right now. Can the Seminoles bounce back after losing two straight 
and uh, upset Clemson going on the road. There will be upsets this upcoming weekend. I have Notre Dame hosting Stanford. Stanford's going to be one of the better, probably three-win teams this season as they were last. And Notre Dame, I think, is slowly going to build on some progress, probably coming out of that bye week and be a solid football team. But Stanford maybe can put a little scare in them here. Uh, the Cardinals, again, Tanner McGee there at quarterback projected well on NFL future draft boards here. So that could be a very interesting game. The check-in is Duke hosting North Carolina, and this could be in the underrated category as well. That's on the ACC Network. So the ACC Network gets a great slate of games, really. But the rivalry here, North Carolina could end up in the ACC championship game. Drake May, a great player, good offense there, not so great defense. Duke not doing too bad as well with Riley Leonard, a good quarterback. That and your check-in and see how things are going game. Your small screen, 7 o'clock, South Alabama hosting Louisiana Monroe on the NFL Network. And again, South Alabama, the Jaguars, winning some football games here. Again, a field goal away from beating UCLA. This is a surprisingly feisty team here in the Sun Belt. And uh, keep an eye on them, the South Alabama Jaguars. And now finally, your late night snack. The easy pick would be to go Air Force and UNLV because they have better records. But I'm going to go with a 10:45 FS1 game. That is San Jose State at 4-1 at Fresno State, the 1-4 Bulldogs. Decimated by injuries this season, they were the favorite to win the Mountain West. Now the 2020 favorite has become the 2022 favorite. This is a rivalry game. Fresno State is still selling out tickets, apparently, even though they've been a decimated by injuries and not winning football games. And Devontae Adams is having his jersey retired at half. So this could be a really difficult environment for San Jose to go into. I expect this to be a fun ball game. And those are your top watches. That is your watch guide. Again, great games with massive outcomes for the winners and losers that can project through the rest of this season and help us sort out who may really be able to compete for playoffs or maybe eliminators to some extent. So just an action-packed week scrolling through the rest of the the rest of the season. This still looks like it's going to be the best overall slate of games right now. So if you're pip- picking pumpkins this weekend, uh, this Saturday specifically, then you've mismanaged your time. You should be watching these great college football games, enjoying the upsets, and then trying, like me, to project who you think really is the best team in college football as we move into the back half of the college football season. Enjoy your watching, and I will talk to you later. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat turn into a